Welcome to the Tell Us Something podcast. I'm Mark Moss. This week on the podcast, Molly Bradford and I revisit her story of harvesting a doe. I figured that it being hunting season and all, now is a good time to share that conversation. My story was complicated because I was talking about this hunting event. I was also talking about why I got into hunting and what was relevant about that and some of my personal ethics around it and how it related to my kid. After our conversation, you can hear the story as she shared it on the Tell Us Something stage. Big thanks to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store, and thanks to our enduring sponsors, CabinetParts.com and Butter Communications. Special thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. Each week, I sit down with the Tell Us Something Storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage. Sometimes we get extra details about their story and we always get to know them a little better. I was like, I have an important call. Don't come in unless someone has a head injury or they're bleeding or there's a compound fracture. And then the door was opening and I was like, yeah, that's, no one's hurt. Someone's just opening the door. And it was the dog. (laughs) Speaking of your dog, do you bring your dog hunting with you? No, she's not a hunting dog. And she's pretty smart. I could, I'm not a bird hunter but I could maybe get her trained. A lot of people send their dogs to like a training school if you're a bird hunter, but it would, it, I think it would ruin it. Well, no, I don't know any, no one really takes their dog for big game hunting because um, they're like loud and frisky and they right. want to chase deer and yeah. And, you, and depending on your dog, I mean, someone could think they were like a coyote and, or a wolf and try and shoot them. My dog doesn't look like that, but our old dog did for sure. So are you already lined out for hunting this year? I did not do any special permits this year. Uh, I just wasn't thinking about it. You'd think being home and online and with COVID that it would have been easier maybe, but it kind of been like not planning too far in the future for anything. Hmm. So I just figured I, I can't, I'll just can get my general license and I've had plenty of success with that and go to spots that I do well. And you know, I'll sight in my gun probably in a month and then just go. Yeah. Yeah. We generally leave our rifles at Joyce's dad's house. Mm-hmm. Um, because we usually hunt up behind his house in Clinton. Oh, nice. We haven't had any luck up there in the last two years. Oh, shoot. Literally, right? So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we have the rifles at the house now, and she was talking about going and sighting them in at the shooting range instead. And yeah. picking a new spot. We've got friends in Nine Mile that we might go try out there this year. I have some friends who live up nine mile who have had a lot of luck and I've considered going up that way. I have a spot that's been really good for me. And since I go alone a lot, um, I particularly like this spot because it's only about a half an hour or 45 minutes away. It's easy for a morning. It's easy for an afternoon. It's easy for a midday. 
which people say midday doesn't work, but so often when I go in the morning, I don't actually get my deer till like noon anyway. So sometimes I don't even try to get out by dawn anymore. I feel like if I just sit someplace calmly for 45 minutes or an hour, you just kind of reset the uh, forest cycle and you're now a part of it. And, you know, animals move every two to four hours, depending on the weather and what their nutrition needs are. So, and I've been going to this spot for a really long time and I have cell service. And since as a female hunting alone, I just feel really comfortable in this spot. And I also know that you know, I have to haul the animal to the car on my own and it's in a block management area and I can get there, get to my car usually within a mile or two. And that's reasonable for me. So if I go with a friend or my husband, we'll go further or to some other steeper areas, but this spot is really good just for me. And I also need to just go alone sometimes. I just have to sit alone in the forest. I've always had difficulty sitting. And part of it is because the, the only times I've been hunting have been with Joyce and her dad. And they like to go and ju they just go and go and mm -hmm. go. And, and mm -hmm. So I've never had the experience of sitting. And when I listened to your story, I thought, well, maybe that's why I keep getting skunked. Ha. Huh. Well, I'd be happy to go sometime. And the spot that I go has a lot of really good ways. And I know it well enough to explain like, Mark, if you go here and I go here, like we'll be going this way if we shoot. So we're not going to shoot each other and we can sit. And the thing I like about having your phone on silent is you can be like, hey, I think I see some critters coming. And like, you don't disrupt the, the sound. Right. Um, I get cold, but I'm, I'm like a really hot hiker. So I have to really think about my layers and I have a couple tricks, hand warmers. And I got some of those reusable hand warmers cause it started to feel bad about hand warmers. And sometimes if I put one like at the nape of my neck, um, and I make sure I have something to sit on so my butt won't get wet. Cause you know how sometimes in the fall or the early winter, it's like that wet snow or it's like not quite cold enough. And then, or your butt's melting the snow and then your butt's wet. So like I figured out a few tricks and I can sit for about 45 minutes and then I get too fidgety or I fall asleep, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you for that offer. I might take you up on it. Yeah. 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 It's a nice spot. Cool. So when you decided to tell a story at Tell Us Something, did you know that this was going to be your story or did it, you just, the theme was announced and you thought, this is it? Oh, this story has been in me for a long time. And to be honest, multiple people who I had sort of talked about the event to have said, okay, in relationship to the story and independent of the story, just knowing me, there's been a lot of like, you, do you go to tell us something? You should do tell us something. Why haven't you done tell us something? This story would be great at tell us something, blah, blah, blah. And I know you and I've come and I know a lot of speakers or storytellers. So then I was sort of waiting for the right theme and the right time for me because I have a little uh, performance anxiety. <laughs> I get a little stage fright. So then it see and I had made a commitment last year to say yes to things that make me uncomfortable but are a stretch 
for myself, but also my community and that are really things I believe in. And this just, it all just came together. And then I think I ran into you and you were like, here's the pitch line. I expect to get your voicemail this week or something. I was like, okay. It was that soup night. We saw you. <laughs> yeah. So it was soup, soup night. And then I saw you at the opening of the new Zach. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then I hassled you again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm I'll doing do it. it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, but I've had this story for a while and I just was trying to figure out when, when I was ready and, you know, when the story was ready for the theme or the theme was ready for the story, you know, yeah. chicken and egg. Right. And so what was that experience like for you to tell it or even just prepare to tell it? well when you told me I was last it was slightly terrifying (laughs) maybe you gleaned that from me but I was like oh okay uh I'm really responsible for not ending the night uh, in any level of flop (laughs) So I felt ec- a little extra pressure, but it was probably what I needed because I, I tend to perform a little bit better with like that pressure and a, a, sl- a slight twinge of procrastination. So I started to feel a lot better after we had the storyteller visit one week prior, just because I was like, oh yeah, we're all the same. You know, like I'm normal. You're talking about the workshop that we had? Yeah, that, that's like, was awesome. And then actually what happened was I wrote out little one and two word phrases that would help me as I was just trying to tell the story. And when my kids were at swim team, I would wear an earbud and record myself while walking my dog, walking the loop behind the YMCA and I think I told the story to the loop, the outdoor loop behind like Playfair Park and the YMCA, I think 500 times. No, probably 50 times or 100 times because my kids swim on different days. So I had an hour and a half every single day and I would walk the dog and tell the story and see what time, 15 minutes, damn, eight minutes, cut out too much, I missed this, 12 minutes, I'm really close, like slow down, speed up, cut that chain, oh, I get to a spot that I really like the words I said, and I just say the words over and over and over to myself while I was walking the dog so that next time I remembered that phraseology and that timing. And I started to feel really good. Then the two nights before the event, I'd be in my jammies and I propped up uh, my iPad on a flipped over laundry basket and told the story to my folded laundry in my bed while I was standing up, like as if I was at on the stage so that I felt like I had, how was my body going to move and how was I going to feel while I was timing myself? I had to just do like all these little things, but literally the night of I, come up to one of the other storytellers and I said, I'm deciding between these three words as the last three words of my story and these three words as the last three words of my story, which three words do you like better? (laughs) 
And they were like these. And I was like, okay, I hope I remember it's those. <laughs> and did you? Yeah. Do you remember what the other three were? Oh, I have to think about it for a minute. Let me see if I can get recall on that while we're visiting. <laughs> so I really love hearing your process because not everybody practices and practices and practices and practices like that. And so then the question I have is, did you go back and listen to your recording? From you? Like from oh, the night of? yourself. You said you were recording into it. Oh, I did. I did because I would be like, that's awkward. That's a weird pause. And I knew there'd be times when I would speak too quietly or too fast or too quickly. And also my story was complicated because I was talking about this hunting event, but I was also talking about why I got into hunting and what was relevant about that and some of my personal ethics around it and how it related to my kid, who were both my kids, and some guilt around mothering. And so I felt like I didn't want to cut so much out that I still understood the story, but none of you did anymore because you didn't know all my context. But I can't put everything in. You were really good at telling us, like, you can't put everything in. It's not a 25-minute story. So it was hard for me to figure that out. So I had to practice it a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a big story. Huge. I did listen to a couple recordings just so I could figure out some of that timing and nuance. Yeah. Yeah. And I still felt so nervous and my voice was a little shaky and I felt kind of freaked out when I was telling it. <laughs> and what I like about that is that for me, every time I, even, even when I'm, um, at a shooting range, every time I'm getting ready to pull a trigger, that's how I feel. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, okay, this is when it all starts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many things could go wrong. And so you really yeah. need to be, this is the only thing that I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. And the story touches on that a little bit too. Totally. Like, I forgot stuff and I did stuff wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so the fact that your voice was shaking a little bit, I think added to the, the depth of your story. In the moment of choosing to add actual breathing, which I do before I pull the trigger. Good. Oh, my whole body just got like a visceral tingle from my scalp down to my hand. But that's what happens in that moment on stage and behind the scope for me. And, but it just calmed me right down. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm ready to bring it home now. And it's a similar analogy to hunting or choosing a big line in a rapid, right? Like the, there's a, pushing your baby out. There's like a lot of moments in life where you're like, you require your deep breath and a little pause in that breath to just focus. And then it's like, it's on. Yeah. People, when I tell them focus on your breath, they're like, that's not a thing. 
That's not going to help me. It's like, like an all-day thing for me. That is exactly the thing that you need. Yeah, like I couldn't fall asleep last night, so I did deep breathing from 20 backwards, and then I woke up this morning, so it worked. Oh, I've never <laughs> tried it backwards. I usually get to 20, and I'm like, okay, now what? Yeah, so I just started going backwards, and it tends to work pretty well. Cool. Well, thanks for that little sleep tip. I want to respect your time. I've got stuff to do as well, but I wonder, is there anything that you want our listeners to know about your story that we haven't already talked about? Hmm. Well, I think there's a lot of my story that could be divisive or controversial for people. Like some people are very much into attachment parenting and can't imagine that I would choose to go. Some people are anti-hunting. Um, some people could get very offended by how uh, viscerally I talk about breast, my breast milk and the doe's breast milk. And I think the main thing I want to share is that none of my story was supposed to be about shock value. The same feeling of stretch and being uncomfortable that I felt in saying yes to tell us something. and even just listening to people's stories sometimes makes you uncomfortable, right? So I felt like this was a really interesting story that touched on a lot of aspects of being a middle-aged woman today who is like, I can be a mom and I can be a hunter and I can be a business owner and I can be an environmentalist and so, sort of in a, well, in a feminist way, that is proactive and inclusive of different life choices uh, and might make people uncomfortable. And, and I didn't set out to make people uncomfortable, but I wanted to honor that. I know a lot of the listeners might've felt uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable when I was in that moment of field dressing that animal. I mean, I, can't think of five other times maybe or three other times I feel uncomfortable right now and I wanted people to just feel that and be okay with it and you can breathe through those moments that you are uncomfortable my mom and dad listened in Wisconsin and huge hunting culture uh, there and they've shared it with a lot of friends some who are not hunters at all. And it's really cool. The feedback I've gotten from a lot of their friends who are in their seventies and eighties is just really neat. And I've had younger people talk about how inspiring that is who don't haven't started families yet, just to think about their relationship with the sports or activities they do. And that was the point to have a dialogue and to be okay with feeling uncomfortable. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so important to listen to each other because in a setting like tell us something where we are listening to stories and there isn't a call to action, we have this opportunity to process what we're hearing without responding right away. And it, it, it can be an opportunity to open dialogues. And I'm just so grateful for you to experience that together and for you sharing your story. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Molly. 
I'm super grateful to have had the opportunity to do it oh. and to share with everyone in that room and everyone on the in the world who finds it and yeah. listens or watches. Thank you again, Molly. And if you need anything from me, let me know. Cool. Thanks, Mark. Anything we can do to help you, yeah, let me know. I appreciate that. Thanks. Have an awesome day. You too. Bye. Bye. Molly Bradford is the CEO and co-founder at Gatherboard, the makers of MissoulaEvents.net. Molly takes community connection seriously. As an active member of the Missoula startup ecosystem, in addition to her children's scholastic and community endeavors, Molly is an avid yet amateur gardener, cook, skier, and hunter. She likes to put up mass quantities of food for the winter, race her husband and kids down the slopes, and she makes telecommuting from Mexico a family priority. Molly's story was recorded in front of a live audience on December 10th, 2019 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana. The theme that night was tipping point. Molly awakes on the day of the hunt to the sounds of her son coughing with the croup. And she has to decide if she should cancel the hunt. She calls her story the push and the pull or spilling milk. Thanks for listening. Six years ago, I shot a doe on opening day. Just a moment before that, I was leaning into the wet sandy bank with detailed certainty that a large herd was going to exit the forest and come into the field at about sunset. I knew that there were at least three or four monster bucks in the herd. I looked up, and the sun was about 15 minutes from setting over the Bitterroot Mountains, which meant there were only 45 minutes of hunting hours left, and my pocket vibrated. It was a text from my husband, Spencer. William has been crying off and on for a couple hours, and he won't take a bottle. How's the hunt going? (laughs) The hunt was going great until then. Although my breast pump lay a couple hundred yards away in the truck and I was engorged under my camo, I thought to myself, am I going to call off this hunt for the second time today? You see, much earlier that morning, I had woken up before my alarm in a state of shock, wondering why there was an amplified baby seal barking in the next room. But it was not a seal. It was my baby, my son. He was actually struggling to breathe and coughing with what would be his first of nearly 20 bouts of croup. I rushed to William's crib and picked him up, and luckily I was able to pretty quickly stabilize his breathing. And then the dread set in. Today was my day to go hunting. It's opening day. I needed a day off, and this hunt was a gift. A friend of mine with a farm south of Hamilton had offered me an opening day mother's hunt. It was like a sure thing, going to, the, going to go hunting for, for venison at the grocery store almost. And I thought to myself, do I go on the hunt? Do I cancel? Is it fair to, to deprive myself of a day off? Is it fair to leave my sick child with my husband and daughter? Do I cancel on Taylor? Taylor and Meredith had taught me to hunt a few years before that. 
I primarily hunted with other women and mothers. We had a long-standing relationship with our produce, growing fruits and vegetables, trading them, putting them up for the winter. It was a large group of women who wanted a similar relationship with their meat that they had with their produce. So Spencer and I decided if William was doing better during the day and the hunt could be postponed until the afternoon, that was a good alternative. And so here I was, leaned in on the sandy bank, and I knew that the hunt was on. Just a little while before I'd found my position, I had walked over a well-trodden game trail with fresh hoof prints in the sand and droppings and tons of sign of deer. The hair was standing up on the back of my neck. I was paying attention to the forest and I knew I was in the right place. You see, I take the decision to bring life into the world and the decision to take life from the world pretty seriously. I had done a lot to prepare for this hunt. Sighted in my gun nearly perfectly at 100 yards, sourced local non-lead ammo. I had on camo, hunter orange, a backpack, a finely sharpened field dressing kit, proper nutrition. And as I sat there thinking about all of this, I realized that the forest was quiet. The squirrels were no longer chattering in the background, giving up my position in the forest. I could hear the wings of the raven overhead before I even saw it, reminding me of the sound of breath while giving birth. And then the deer appeared like they sometimes do. A young spike buck ran out into the field, a scout. A couple fawns and does. After that, a larger buck and lar larger does. I knew that this was not one of the trophies, but this hunt was not about antlers, it was about meat. So I, sight I leaned into my gun and put the scope on one of the does, just behind her front leg where I knew the heart would be. And I calmed myself down so that it wasn't shaking before I took my shot. Those deep breaths before the final push that brings life into the world and the pull that takes it. I shot that doe on opening day and it was a great shot on all accounts. I would find out later that I had shot it through the heart. It jumped back a few yards and fell down at the edge of the forest. The rest of the herd scattered. I took my time calming down for a moment in that sandy bank. Then I texted Spencer and Taylor and the landowner to let them know what was going on. And I approached the animal. She had died almost immediately. I slipped some grass into her mouth and put my hand on her neck to thank her for her sacrifice for my family and got to work. Laying out my plastic bag for the heart to take home to EB, my field dressing kit, no headlamp. It was supposed to be a morning hunt and I'd forgotten my headlamp. And in my sleep deprived state, no gloves. I had tons of baby wipes, but no gloves. So I grabbed my knife with my bare hands and started the incision down the breastbone and through the abdomen of the deer when I came to a swollen set of teats. And I had to keep going. I sliced through and the milk spilled into the incision on my hands and my own milk spilled out of my breasts and into my camo. Taylor came up 
and she quickly talked me down off of what was about to be a bad adrenaline trip. She, stu she steadied the dough and she steadied me. She told me I had to get to work. It was getting dark quickly, we had no light, and we were getting cold. I hastily and sloppily finished field dressing the dough. I put the heart in a bag to bring home while Taylor found a stick to spread the ribs apart to help it cool off more quickly, I cleaned up my hands and packed my bag. We drug the animal, tired, in the dark with no light, stumbling around in the field back to the truck, convincing ourselves that another doe would nurse that fawn tonight and threw it in the back of the truck, saying goodbye and thanks to the farmer on our way out. I dropped Taylor at her mom's about halfway home where we ran into some other friends who'd been fishing that day. We swapped stories of success. There were high fives and cheers, but I was pretty sad. They all tried to convince me again that the fawn would be okay. I got home to a relatively quiet house. William was eager to nurse, and we drifted off into fitful sleep. The next morning, E.B. bounded outside in her pajamas and jumped right up into the back of the truck with the dough. She was so excited to check it out. Did you bring me the heart, Mama? I did. We cut the back strap out of the back of the dough to have later for dinner and went inside where she played with it in the sink, squeezing water in and out of the different valves and putting her finger through the bullet hole. That afternoon, I took the dough and William to the butcher. Some years I have the bandwidth to do my own butchering, but this was not one of those years. The butcher was so excited to see me. In fact, he was about to do an interview with the local news station about the success of his female hunters on opening day. As he told me, his words, not mine, they hunt with more finesse and less ego. He asked how my hunt had gone. I told, as I started to tell him, his lead processor came out from the back, hunched over with gnarled hands and blood on his apron and a hollow, wrinkled face. And I told them about the fawn and the doe and William and the milk, and I started to tear up. And the hunchback leaned over and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, it's okay, mama, you've done nothing wrong. You've harvested a fine animal for your family. That fawn needed to wean so it could survive the winter. And with that, my suffering lifted. I loaded the baby into the truck and headed home. That evening, as I sat in our 100-year-old kitchen, nursing William, watching my husband cook fresh backstrap for dinner, and my daughter eager to help prepare the heart for fritters, I was soothed by the rhythm of the push and the pull. Thank you. Thanks, Molly, and thank you for listening today. Be sure to tune in next week when I check in with Jenny Pack. I feel that there is something lacking in our society where communication is concerned. Like, you can't even get half a sentence out before somebody is talking over you or finishing your sentence for you or trying to guess what your next comment is going to be. And I don't know if you feel that, but... In my day-to-day -day interactions, I feel pretty frustrated when I'm just trying to finish a thought, you know. And I love to tell stories. I do the historical reenacting as much as 
possible, and I'll stand up in front of an audience for an hour and tell somebody else's story. I thought, you know, it would be really cool to tell my story. So that's why I did it. I wanted to be heard, first of all. And I've been telling other people's stories for so long that I thought it would just be interesting to tell my story. Yeah. Tune in for that conversation on the next Tell Us Something podcast. If you want to support what we do, you can do that financially by donating. Go to tellussomething.org and click the handshake support icon in the top right-hand corner. You can also tell someone about the show. Recommend Tell Us Something to just two people who have never listened to it. Please rate and review this podcast. It really helps. Writing a little review on your podcast app pushes the algorithms and helps people find the show. Thank you for finding the show. If you ever want to drop me a line, you can write to mark at tellussomething.org. That's M-A-R-C at tellussomething.org. If you want to get some cool Tell Us Something merch, visit tellussomething.org slash shop. New in the shop is a recording of the live scored stories that were shared at the Tell Us Something fundraiser in February 2020. Check that out, as well as lots of other cool stuff. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Dedicated to supporting healthy community, The Good Food Store provides a wide selection of organic food and natural products. The staff at The Good Food Store reminds you to shop less. Consolidate your visits to no more than once per week. Shop solo. If possible, only send one shopper per household. Shop fast, shop efficiently, and don't linger. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks also to our enduring sponsors, cabinetparts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price and knowledgeable hardware specialists, cabinetparts.com is the direct source for all your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. They deliver superior technology solutions through trusted relationships and enrich the lives of their customers, owners, and employees. Learn more at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula, offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends. Have a look at the menu and order online at truefoodcsa.com. Thanks to Cash for Junkers, who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Missoula Bone & Joint, providing superior clinical orthopedic care to their patients for over 60 years, missoulaboneandjoint.com. Axis Physical Therapy, an enthusiastic team dedicated to providing compassionate and comprehensive care to their clients. Learn more at accessmissoula.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors, Logjam Presents. Top Hat Restaurant and Bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. The Top Hat also now features geodome dining, social distancing to the next level. The new private geodomes seat two to six people and are perfect for staying warm and cozy while enjoying local food and drink through the winter months. Learn more and reserve your dome at logjampresents.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula, formerly known as Enlighten Lab Float Center. Learn more at floatmsla.com. 
Inertia Physiotherapy. Move better, feel better, stay in motion. InertiaPhysioMT.com. GeckoDesigns.com, MissoulaEvents.net. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Next week on the Tell Something Podcast, join Jenny Pack and me as we revisit her story of a visit to Hong Kong where her in-laws live. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other.